Below the Bar podcast is not meant to be taken as legal advice. It is purely used for entertainment purposes. Corbin and I are not attorneys. In fact, we haven't even graduated law school yet. We don't even know if we're going to graduate. We don't even know if we're going to graduate. That's scary. So if you have any legal concerns, please, 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 I urge you guys to seek an actual attorney. With that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode. And that's all I have to say. You're going to start an OnlyFans? <laughs> All right. I, th- I think the mic only caught me saying you're going to start an OnlyFans. Like, I don't know if you'll be able to hear yeah. We should just use that as like an intro. It's just me <laughs> you're laughing. Start an, you're going to start an OnlyFans? <laughs> question mark. Yeah. I like that where it's, you know, you just, just like there's not a the formal intro. entry. It's just like us kind of like, oh shit, it's on. All right. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to Below the Bar Podcast. My name is Drew, and who's this guy? It's Corbin. Oh, Corbin. All uh, right. How have you been? I've been all right. Uh, nothing to... Actually, I do have... I lied. I have something crazy to tell you about. <laughs> all right. And I actually okayed this with her before I'm saying this, guys, so don't be like, how, why are you airing this girl's dirty laundry out like this? But one of my first... So I had to do some stuff for work this past week, and I, I was out driving around, and I come home, and I see one of our friend's cars parked up in front of the house. So I'm like, okay. So I go in, it's, it's my own friend or our friend. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? And she's like, I gotta tell you guys what just happened to me. I met this guy on this dating app and we were supposed to go on this date today. And he got, and she goes in for days prior to this, he was like all pumped to meet me. Like he kept calling me being like, hey, can we hang out today? You know, you have... You know, like saying all this like real nice stuff to her and like just really wanted to hang out. And she goes, okay, like he really wants to meet me. All right. So the day of this date comes along and they're supposed to meet downtown at the point. So she's on her way and he sends her a picture of, I'm setting this up to say like <laughs> something that it's not. But she sends, or he sends her a picture of like, him not him but like this this landmark like a building he goes this is where i'm at you know it's basically like his viewpoint from a bench down at the point like this is where I'm at. yeah like if you see this i'm close yeah, to there yeah so she gets down there and she's like okay she gets downtown and she goes to that location and he's just not there all right <laughs> so she takes a picture from the same vantage point and sends it to him it's almost an identical just photo. the exact same and one says like hey i'm here where are you and he's just nowhere. So she walked around and he, she, he didn't ever respond. Nothing. Nothing. Just fucking freaking vaporized. <laughs> All right. So, and I'm leaving that, that F bomb in. <laughs> just vaporized. And she's like messaging him, going like, hey, man. And his phone's just off. Like, it's not saying it got delivered. Like, I'm like, this guy, we're going to find him dead in a dumpster somewhere <laughs> yeah, in a couple of weeks. Happened? Like, what happened? He just disappeared. For hours, she didn't hear anything from him. And finally, I think she did hear something. And he, I don't know what ended up happening, but okay. I was like, I was gonna say that she just never hear from him this again. This guy's dead. Like this is gonna be, she's gonna be on some documentary where she's like, yeah, we just supposed to meet him down at the point. And next thing I know, they found his body parts in a bag. Then <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, she's a suspect. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but 
It's just, yeah, I don't, that's I don't crazy. know. That's crazy. And then like you think about like I don't know. I guess if I was in that position, I was like, okay, I have to meet this person here. I know what to look for. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's no one. I'd be like I'd feel like somebody was watching me. Yeah. The way <laughs> she was describing it too, she was like, I saw this guy sit on a bench and I thought maybe that was him and you know, they were like eating a slice of pizza and they turned and looked at me and then, you know, turned back around and threw the pizza out and walked on like, it was this just, just like feels... a sting operation. <laughs> <laughs> it was very like suspect. It's this all undercover. Like, what is happening? But yeah, so that, that's, that's, wild. that's exciting, I guess. It wasn't my life, but <laughs> it's still strange. Lived vicariously. That's crazy. I did not have any experiences like that <laughs> this week. Um, <laughs> No, I I didn't do anything this week other than class. Like, <laughs> it's been a drag, man. Yeah, just yeah. work, work, class, class. Yeah. Really has. I hope everybody else is having more exciting lives yeah. than I am right now. You just kind of hope a meteor would just come down and <laughs> yeah, end it all. <laughs> I say that about once a day. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Uh, so what do we have today? Um, I think we're gonna try out like a little bit of a different style today we're each gonna take we each picked out a case didn't tell the other person which case we picked out we'll probably know them once the other person starts talking about them just because they're more than likely popular cases from law school but we just thought it would be interesting to see what we picked out so they're going to be shorter cases but we're going to try to do two of them and see how that works yeah, that's yeah. I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah, I think it'll be out. interesting. See what you came up with. Yeah, see what you came up with, and we'll see what you guys think about this. If you hate it, please tell us, and we'll we'll stop. We'll re- you guys can vote on who's funnier, Drew or I. It's me. You're welcome. It's me. All right, but yeah, uh, let's hear it. I guess who wants to go first? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, Mr. Funny Man, go first. Yeah, all right, I can start. So, I picked. It's Regina v. Faulkner, which is a case from 1877 that was held in the Court of Crown Cases reserved in Ireland. Oh, fancy. Yeah. So basically what happened here is Robert Robert Faulkner was on a cargo ship, and this cargo ship carried, I believe it said rum, I think there was cotton, there was something else, but... It's very old school. It, I mean, 1877. Yeah. Very What's old your school. cargo? Like, oh, we have corn and salt. And rum. And rum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 1877. Very old school. Cool. But cool. So while on this cargo ship, he decides that he's going to break into the rum. So in order to do that, he went down to the hall, I think, whatever, wherever it's stored. <laughs> and he just bores a hole into the edge of a... Of a Oh, barrel. Barrel of rum. And it said in... Naughty dog. I tried to do more in-depth research, but it was tough just because of the age of this case. But it said that he admitted that he made the hole too big. So that's where like... It's pouring out. (laughs) Yeah. He needs some flex seal. It said he only wanted enough for a sip, which confuses me because if you're going to commit a crime... Go all out, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I just wanted a sip of rum. Also... That's really like alcoholic level behavior. Like, I just need a <laughs> taste, please. I just need a sip just of rum. <laughs> yeah. So he accidentally made it too big. So then it started pouring all over the floor. <laughs> okay. So he wanted to plug the hole in the barrel, but he couldn't find the hole in the barrel anymore. So Wait, he... <laughs> this huge hole, he just couldn't find it? Yeah, he it? couldn't find it. 
He got his it, he it was be. dark, yeah. I guess. Oh, okay. So yeah. so he lights a match, and it lights all of the rum on fire. No. And so <laughs> there were some uh, some of the other semen were killed. <laughs> use that word like that. You that's gr- that's what it says oh, in my oh, notes. Oh, like men on boats. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, some of some of them were killed, and so basically. He gets back to Ireland, and in his original trial, it was a felony for theft, but also for arson, for lighting okay. the okay. rum on fire. And basically, he admitted to the theft, because that was very obvious in the first place. But the jury instructed that if they found him guilty for theft, they should also find him guilty for arson interesting because he committed because even though it was accidental he committed the arson when he was committing the theft i'm trying to remember arson from a criminal law standpoint now i know this is a uk case but what is right. the record uh, you might be getting I'm, I'm jumping the gun i'll let you, yeah no you're good uh let me sorry just one second i had it i had because don't you need to have the intent to commit? Yeah, it? yeah. So, and that was his argument. Um, one of the uh, requirements for arson is malice. And his mm-hmm. argument was that in order to prove that there was malice, they would have to prove that he intended to light the rum on fire, fire. Okay. which he did not. And that's, in the end, that's what is held, that just because he meant to commit the theft does not mean that he meant to commit the arson so oh so i oh yeah. i didn't mean to, i didn't mean to no, take away <laughs> no you're good that that was it was a short case like i said i didn't want to pick a long one just because uh um because we're going to try two here yeah yeah so originally he was found guilty of both but then he appealed okay yeah and that's yeah. what the higher court um used to rule was basically that arson requires that malice the, right. it's the malicious burning of another's building or dwelling. Sure, yeah. And there's and there's one more requirement, but I cannot remember it right now. Yeah, no, it's but yeah, that's the, I mean that's that makes sense. I mean, could you imagine being able to hold somebody, you know, find somebody guilty for something like as serious as arson? Right. In that circumstance? I mean, that's a yeah, little like, seems a little crazy. That's a lot. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I just I mean, theft, especially he wasn't trying to harm anyone at all. Like he was just trying to drink again. Yeah, just trying to, you know, (laughs) wet his whistle. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think whenever you have a bunch of semen on a boat, eventually they're going to try to. Gross, man. (laughs) Eventually. Don't yell at me. Be more more mature. (laughs) First first of all, this is not my fault. But when you have a lot of semen on a boat, you're going to have some spilt rum. Is the saying that uh, they do say that? <laughs> that's a, is that a saying? It is a saying. It's a very, very common saying. Yeah, I think it's based off this case. <laughs> when you have a lot of semen on a boat, there's going to be spilled rum. There's going to be spilled rum. Everybody knows that saying. It's a very common saying. It's used across all kinds of different. Nobody situations. knew where it came from yeah. until now. That's where it came from. Oh, uh, that I like that. It was a good case. Thank yeah, you. It's yeah. quick, easy, to the point. Yeah. I'm glad they ruled the way they did because I would be 
furious if they held this man. <laughs> furious. furious. Almost as mad as uh, the last, last week. Yeah. yeah. With that labor law. Yeah. yeah, where the people just definitely lied. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaks of arson, that was interesting. You probably remember from criminal law, one professor, he was saying how there was this, in Pittsburgh, years and years and years ago, there was this guy who was like real involved in all this organized crime type stuff and i guess he was trying to burn down a nightclub and make it look like an accident so he and his buddies went in at like two in the morning and they rigged this thing to where uh they like rigged rigged this whole system to where they were gonna go miles and miles away and then call the place but they rigged it so that this like the i don't the the spark from the phone call i'm not an arsonist guys so i don't know exactly what's going on here that's exactly what an arsonist would say Oh my God, maybe I am an arsonist. <laughs> so, they were going to go miles away, call. The phone call was going to ignite some kind of accelerant, which was then going to make the building explode. Okay, Interesting. I mean, as far as arson goes, that's a pretty genius plan. You know, not condoning it, but I mean, that's pretty wild. As an, as an arsonist, in your opinion. It, it, no. <laughs> Except that it didn't work because what happened is they were in there setting it up and it's like two in the morning and miles oh away. God. Somebody wakes up and dials the wrong number. It calls this nightclub and it explodes with them all in it. <laughs> blows amazing. them off. When people die, like some of the guys died. Other were like critically injured. I was like, that's bananas. That's, that's crazy. Insane. It is bananas. It's bananas. I like that. But all right. We can see. My turn. Your turn. This is a pretty extensive case, actually. This is in the matter of baby M. He needs more material. Yeah, I really just thought that it was going to be a simple one. And then I started digging in it and I was like, it's kind of a, there's a lot going on here. So I'm going to try to make this as concise as possible to keep this episode listenable. So in the matter of Baby M, we're, do- we're talking about surrogacy contracts and whether or not they are enforceable. So the big question here is, you know, are they enforceable? And that really depends. State laws are going to determine the enforceability of a surrogacy contract. So, you know, then that kind of makes sense because right. if surrogacy contracts, you know, were just not enforceable anywhere, you would probably never hear of any surrogacies occurring right. at all. So th- this woman in this case was a nut. All right. She was insane. Listen to this. So here's the facts. Okay. All right. The Stearns, they're a married couple. Okay. Howard. It's Howard Stern and... <laughs> Belinda Stern. I don't know what her his wife's name is. No, not Howard Stern, you muppet. All right, listen. The Stearns are a married couple, and they want to have a baby, except for Mrs. Stern, she's infertile. She cannot have a baby. Okay, so they decide to go the surrogacy route. So I found out later she was infertile because she had you know, a multitude of medical issues. It's not really, you know, it's kind of what I figured. You know, Typically when somebody has that they're, you know, some underlying condition. Right. So they find this woman named Mary Beth Whitehead, which change your last name, ma'am. Yeah, sounds gross. That's a gross name. <laughs> My name's Susie Boyle. Actually, there are people with like yeah, Boyle. Susan Boyle. <laughs> She's just a person. <laughs> Susan, I'm sorry if you're out there listening. You just right. made fun of us a little bit on accident. <laughs> My name's Betty Goiter. There we go. I don't think anybody's named Betty Goiter. That's to say. So anyway. Bad last name, but that's besides the point. So, Mrs. Whitehead is inseminated with Mr. Stern's sperm, okay? And 
she will deliver this baby and do whatever is necessary to terminate the maternal rights so that the Stearns could adopt baby M. And that's what's in this surrogacy contract. So Mr. Stern, he agrees to pay Mrs. Whitehead $10,000 after the birth and upon delivery of baby M to him and his wife. Is that the going rate for a baby? Ten thousand. <laughs> well, that's like, kinda... well <laughs> I need, <laughs> I need to make a statement. After. I don't. I'm not looking to purchase a baby. <laughs> yeah, but if you were, but like for surrogacy, I didn't know there ten thousand bucks will get you. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah it depends yeah. on the quality of the baby. You know, yeah. There's a lot of different variables that go into pricing a baby, but. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like we're in a very dangerous zone that we don't want to <laughs> <laughs> want to go down. But no, that's kind of important. You said that because that's you know largely what this case kind of in a way falls on. Right. So he offers Mrs. Whitehead ten thousand dollars after birth and upon delivery of the baby. As a side note, the importance of Baby M to Mister Stern was also huge because most of his family had been killed in the Holocaust. So he wanted to be able to carry on his family's name. So it was really important to him that he has this baby. Right. So that's just as an aside. So anyway, this baby is born, baby M, on March 27th of 1986. It's a fellow March baby. I'm March 7th. So I definitely feel this deep connection with baby M. Right. right. Pisces power. <laughs> oh, yeah. You like that? <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself. So, all seems well, but Mrs. Whitehead decided that she had formed an unbreakable bond with Baby M and that she was not going to give up this baby, okay? She's saying how the baby looked like her daughter, and then when the Stearns told her what they were going to name it, she broke into tears, which, honestly, that really she could have just could have just been a bad name. She's like, we're going to name it Betty Goiter, and she was like, no! It's better than anything Whitehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So... On March 30th, Baby M's delivered to the Stearns, and they end up naming the baby Melissa, which is Yuck. an okay name. Yeah, Ugh, I like see why really. she burst out in tears. <laughs> no, what? Okay. Melissa? <laughs> All right. So in the meantime, Mrs. White, she's just falling apart, okay? She gave this baby away, and she's just not happy about it. She, uh, the next day, she goes to the Stearns' house, and she pleads her case for Melissa and apparently was so grief stricken that the Stearns actually thought she might honestly commit suicide. Jeez. They were worried that she might really harm herself. So Mrs. Whitehead's pleading with them and she says, Hey, like, can I just take baby M for a week? And I just have her for a week. And the Stearns like, you know what? This lady's really going to, she's going to hurt herself. So let's give her our baby for a week, which is also a crazy. Yeah. No, like, <laughs> like, I'm I'm just saying. Yeah. I feel like my last thought is, well, I'm really nervous that this person might be having a mental th- yeah, like a neg- yeah. a mental lapse or anything. <laughs> I should give them my baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of weird things going on here. So, what year is this case? Uh, 1986 was when the baby was born. Uh, people so, didn't really care about their babies then. No, I mean so. definitely in the 80s they just you know, latchkey <laughs> yeah, any, kids. Anyone kinda, could take them. Yeah. So, so the Stearns give Melissa or baby M to Mrs. Whitehead under the presumption that she would take the baby for a week and then give the baby back. But apparently Mrs. Whitehead thought that this meant, you know, she would just indefinitely have the baby. She just gets to keep it. So she just, you know, took four months for them to get their baby back. Uh, Mr. Stern files this complaint seeking enforcement of the surrogacy contract saying like, hey, this is our baby, you know, give it back, give it back. 
So Mrs. Whitehead finds out that he, you know, files this this complaint, and she and her husband flee to Florida with the baby. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Like, yeah. I'm connecting the whole case through this yeah. whole thing from reading it before. Yeah, and so, mind you, they're in New Jersey, so they flee to Florida with baby M. Okay. And the parties communicated with each other then via phone. That's Mrs. Whitehead and Mr. Stern to try to kind of reconcile this, you know. Mrs. Whitehead just kept getting more and more erratic. She's like, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill the baby. And then I'm also going to falsely accuse Mr. Stern of um, inappropriately touching my daughter. (laughs) Like, she went off the deep end. Wow. Yeah. So this really obviously became a huge ordeal. And Mr. Stern ends up, you know, they find out where she's staying, Mrs. Whitehead. She's staying with her parents in Florida. So the police go there and forcibly remove the child. So that's basically the the facts. Okay. So goes to trial and the Stearns are awarded full custody and Mrs. Whitehead is given limited visitation rights. Okay. So then this gets appealed to the New Jersey Supreme Court eventually, who ultimately held that such contracts, that is the surrogacy contract, are not enforceable, okay? And the two reasons that they are using to argue this is statutory conflict with New Jersey laws and public policies of the state of New Jersey. Hmm. So this is what I'm going to try to breeze through because there's a lot here, and I know we're probably going to be missing out on certain things. This isn't going to be as in-depth as it probably should be, but here we go. So as far as the conflict with New Jersey laws, there was three reasons that they mentioned. The first was that there's New Jersey laws that prohibit the use of money in connection with adoptions. So though it appears the parties want, and I have a lot of like snippets that I took from this case. So these are a lot of these are quotes. Though it appears the parties went to great lengths to avoid violation of this statute, despite the transfer of $10,000 to Mrs. Whitehead, the money was clearly paid and accepted in connection with the adoption of baby M. So they're basically saying we have these statutes that prohibit use of money in connection with a private placed adoption as we have here. And that's exactly what they're doing. Right. So, you know, Mr. Stern was paying this money and he knew he was paying for the adoption. Mrs. Whitehead knew she was accepting the money for payment of giving the child up for adoption. The payment of $10,000 was only to occur after the surrender of the baby and upon completion of Mrs. Whitehead terminating her parental rights. So the Stearns also, as per the contract, would pay nothing if the baby died before four months into pregnancy and only pay $1,000 if the baby was stillborn. So this, all of this together tends to prove that the money was not for the services rendered so much as it was for the adoption right. of baby um, Melissa. Betty Goiter. Yuck. So... <laughs> Uh, why is this the law in the first place, this New Jersey law? So basically what we were talking about before, this, this the court states that baby selling exploits the parties involved where adoption statutes would seek to further humanitarian goals, including the best interest of the child. Baby selling, as we have, as the court says we have here, have consequences that are potentially present in surrogacies. So that's the sta- that's the first statute is the one against money in connection with adoptions and they've were found to violate that here. Right. The second one is requiring proof of parental unfitness or abandonment before termination of parental rights is ordered or an adoption granted. So New Jersey law requires termination of parental rights only where there is a voluntary surrender of the child to an approved agency or where there has been a showing of parental abandonment or unfitness by or by an action 
from the Division of Youth and Family Services. So those are the instances in which parental rights can be terminated. In order to terminate parental rights under the private placement adoption statute, there must be a finding of intentional abandonment or a very substantial neglect of parental duties without a reasonable expectation of a reversal of that conduct in the future. In this case, termination of parental rights was obtained not by proving the statutory prerequisites, but by claiming that the benefit of contractual but by claiming the benefit of contractual provisions. So for all that's been stated above, it's pretty clear that a contractual agreement to abandon the parental rights or to not contest a termination action, it's not going to be enforced in these courts. You can't, yeah. So that statute was found to be violated, the one requiring proof of parental unfitness or abandonment before termination of rights. Third and final statute was the New Jersey law that makes the surrender of custody and consent to adoption revocable in private placement adoptions. So in this contract, there was no clause that gave Mrs. Whitehead a right to rescind her agreement or to terminate all parental rights and surrender custody. And then here's where I got some snippets from the court. It says, contractual surrender of parental rights is not provided for in our statute as now written. The provision in the surrogacy contract whereby the mother, Mrs. Whitehead, irrevocably agrees to surrender custody of the child and to terminate her parental rights conflicts with the settled interpretation of New Jersey statutory law. There is only one irrevocable consent, and that's the one explicitly provided for by statute, a consent to surrender of custody and placement with an approved agency or with the Department of Youth and Family Services. Uh, The provision in the surrogacy contract agreed to before conception requiring the natural mother to surrender custody to the child without any right of revocation is one more indication of the essential nature of this transaction, the creation of a contractual system of termination and adoption designed to circumvent our statutes. So basically this contract that they had was basically their way of sidestepping all of these. To just get around all the laws. Yeah. So that's the statutory reasons for invalidating this contract. Then public policy, and we're wrapping it up here, it is a New Jersey public policy that children should remain with and be brought up by both of their natural parents. And this surrogacy contract, as the court says, clearly violates this public policy in the eyes of the court. So a child, instead of starting off its life with as much peace and security as possible, finds itself immediately in a tug-of-war between contending mother and father, which, uh, I mean, I'm not... I don't know, maybe I'm speaking out of ignorance here, but I feel like a baby, a newborn baby, is not going to have any, (laughs) you know, idea of what the hell is actually happening here. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know exactly how it affects a baby's brains. (laughs) I don't know the studies of those, but I don't know if as like an actual infant, how much it would actually affect you. You don't remember any of that? I don't remember. I don't remember any of that. And my mom and dad, no. (laughs) <laughs> we're going to cut that, actually, <laughs> just because we're going to cut that. <laughs> so, additionally, there was no counseling given to Mrs. Whitehead prior to giving up baby M. The infertility clinic did conduct a psychological evaluation of her, though, and I thought this was pretty crazy. So, they conducted this psychological evaluation, and they did find that there was some traits present in her that indicated that she would have difficulty separating herself with the baby upon giving birth to it. Mm-hmm. But they didn't tell... Mrs. Whitehead or the Stearns, they just kept that a secret. And this is presumably because if they did disclose this, the surrogacy would possibly be called off 
And the court says that this would result in the clinic losing out on their fee. So that's right. this whole, like, they didn't have the best interest of the child in mind. There is not the slightest suggestion that any inquiry will be made at any time to determine the fitness of the Stearns as custodial parents of Mrs. Stern as an adoptive parent, their superiority to Mrs. Whitehead, or the effect of the child on not living with her natural mother. So, again, best interest of the child. The trial court just said, give it, give the baby to the Stearns without any consideration as to, you know, what would be in the best interest of the right. child. Um, basically, that's kind of, they just kind of, you know, talk that point into the ground, it seems, this whole public policy of best interest of the children. And ultimately, you know, in wrapping this up and keeping it short, is basically the surrogacy contracts involving the exchange of money for a binding agreement by the surrogacy to consider her child upon birth are against public policy and void as a matter of law. So basically you can't, in New Jersey at least, right. you can't engage in such types of contracts because it violates New Jersey statutes and public policy. So what happened to Baby M? Baby M ended up with the Stearns. Okay. I yeah. was going to say, they must have ended up, I would have assumed that they did a, an analysis after this case and they were <laughs> yeah. like, still probably should go. Oh, Baby M. But yeah, I mean, that's, I felt like I had to kind of rush through that one just because, like, again, I wanted to keep this listenable but i think you know the point got across yeah and we'll have to uh i guess if we do the same kind of style in the future we'll have to just make sure that we have like short cases uh yeah i definitely thought that was going to be a shorter case and then i pulled it up on westlaw and it was like 80 pages long yeah so we'll have to see what everybody thinks like whether they like this style um, yeah if anybody has any opinions on it if you just want to reach out on instagram facebook let us know. And then also let us know who's more personable as per this episode. It's me. Oh, my God. But, but yeah, so I think that's it. That's all I have. Yeah, so I guess, do you want to see if you can remember your list? Oh, jeez, put the pressure on me. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Talk Shoe, um, Spotify. Spotify. How do I forget Spotify? <laughs> Apple Podcasts and the Stitcher app. Stitch, yeah. Cool. Let me, let me try it again. I'll just edit that out. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, TalkShoe, Apple Podcasts, and the Stitcher app. Got it. Got it. Look at that, guys. I'm getting better. And uh, yes, yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, we will see you next week with two more gripping episodes. Two more gripping episodes.